Hello everyone. It's been an eye-opening week, hasn't it? As I said in our previous video, I think the biggest eye-opener of all over this past week or so is that the world has completely lost its way morally. Maybe it never had its way morally, to be honest. You know, we see the great institutions of society have completely failed morally. I mean, where, where do we start? Universities, campuses, the most brilliant academics and lecturers unable to condemn barbarity. The media, the great institution that's meant to share with us the facts. I mean, the BBC, the great revered BBC, unable to call Hamas what they are, terrorists. So many celebrities and celebrity culture, people are starting to say, where are you guys? I mean, there's been a few, but most people don't want to say anything because it's just a bit too uncomfortable here because it doesn't really fit with the whole social justice narrative over who is and who isn't a victim. Of course, the Jewish people break the social justice narrative because they show that just because you've been victimized doesn't mean you have to be a victim. What else have we seen? What other institutions? How about international law and the great United Nations? I mean, I don't think they ever really <laughs> had much of a shot when it came to being a, a moral voice. But, I mean, literally, even, even uh, sports culture, the Football Association, unable to light up the colour of their stadium in the Israeli flag colours, even though they do for LGBT and Ukraine and whoever suffers a national uh, tragedy. The obvious message is, I don't think it could be more obvious, is that the world is deeply in trouble in terms of having a basic moral compass and there's no real institution that's providing that for us. And before you think I say the answer is, well, religion, well, it was religion, a perverse religious ideology that led these terrorists to do what they did, a corruption of godliness. And even among Israel's friends, there's a lacking of moral clarity often, not always, but often. Sometimes it's just due to not being clued up enough in the facts, but also it's a bit of a lack of deep thinking and perhaps a deeper sense of moral compass. For example, you know, friends in the media, governments that are friendly are saying, we stand by Israel's right to defend ourselves. But, you know, it's going to be a very difficult situation for the people of Gaza and they really must restrain themselves and uh, be proportionate. And uh, we fear that uh, they're just going to fall into a trap and, and therefore, you know, it, it's just going to get very messy. So really just they ought to just not go down a path that they may end up regretting. But none of them are offering any practical, viable alternative. You know, I asked them, well, we, 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 we hate the occupation. I think, an, you know, an occupation of a people who don't have any kind of um, national self-expression, self let's say, um, is, is, is really bad. But the question they, they, they don't answer is, well, why, why, why did that occupation begin? Why did the blockade begin? Why did Israel engage in any of the previous wars they did with Hamas? And what alternative do you have to offer on any of these issues? And they never have any, anything else to offer. It's just they want to 
say what they think is right, but then when it gets a bit complicated, which war inevitably does, ooh, they, well, they don't want to feel like they are, you know, they don't want to lose the, what they perceive as seeming pious to the world and, and saying what the world wants to hear and what they think looks good and makes them look good. Um, so they'll say Israel has a right to defend herself, but then they say, but I'm very concerned about what they do to defend themselves. So it ends up becoming a brainless statement. If you have no alternative for Israel, then the only thing you do by focusing on the fact that war is inevitably messy is um, you just give succor to Israel's enemies who wish to focus those who are foolish enough to focus on the inevitable casualties of war in order to undermine Israel. So I think the common theme here throughout all of this is that there's been a complete failure to create a society and a way of thinking that is, uh, that is moral. Fundamentally, at a deep, concrete level, moral. There's a void in, 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 in morality throughout the world, secular and religious. So I think the message is obvious. We need to do our job as Jews. Our job as Jews is to teach the world about God's morality, the morality that he wants for his world. That's been our job, and we've done that to quite a successful degree. But we need to now seize the moment because everyone else hasn't got a clue. Hasn't got a clue. Every great institution. And they're trying to lecture us, and that it ends up being, being disastrous. And no, this does not mean to say that every Jewish person acts perfectly. And um, we're not saying that at all. We're, we're human beings flawed just like every other human being. And this is not a question of superior or inferior. The point of being a chosen people is God says, can you, as a group of people, be my, the custodians of God's morality and teach that to all the nations of the earth? So I've decided that that's going to be a focus on JTV now. JTV is going to start focusing far more on teaching Torah morality for the whole world because that's what the Jewish people are here to do. And so we're going to do a series of videos and it's going to be ongoing. I mean, that sort of is the whole point of JTV to a large extent. We call it Jewish Ideas Global Relevance. It's for Jewish people, but it's also it's for everyone. Part of the reason I think that Jews have been less uh, universally focused than perhaps we ought to be um, is because we haven't had the chance. You know, Jews, you put up walls, don't you, to the wider world? Well, who put up those walls? <laughs> it wasn't us. The, the nations of the world said we're not interested. In fact, they were trying to convert us. So we haven't really had much of a chance. The world hasn't been prepared to listen. But now the point is, we have a voice now. We can speak freely. And we need to find the confidence, which I think we have, to start teaching. Because for some reason, that's what God has asked of us. So this is lesson one. Today is lesson one, Torah morality for the whole world. So if you're Jewish and non-Jewish, tune in and listen and share this video with others because we're going to start teaching about uh, God's morality. So I have with me um, what we call a chumash, which is, it means, it refers to the five books of Moses, the Torah. Um, and 
we're going to start going through the Torah and picking on some ideas that, that are applicable to everyone. So where better to start than at the very beginning? Um, now, I'm going to read to you the start of the Torah, the very first line in the Torah, and one of the greatest Torah commentaries of all, perhaps the most famous, uh, is uh, certainly on, on the written Torah, on the five books of Moses, is a rabbi that's uh, referred to as Rashi. He's a medieval uh, rabbinic scholar and commentator who lived in medieval France. And he, his first comment on the Torah is as follows. So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Rashi asks the question, he says, why does the Torah begin this way? The first of the five books of Moses, which is called Genesis, which really means origins, it tells us all these stories from the creation of the heaven and earth and Adam and Eve and Noah and the flood and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph and going down to Egypt. Why does it start there? Ultimately, the Torah is meant to be a book about God's uh, morals and what he needs of human beings to do. So why not start from the first law that was given to uh, the Jewish people? which is about inaugurating the new month, the new moon. But he says, it doesn't start there. It starts at the very beginning. And now you might say, well, doesn't, it want to, doesn't God want to tell us all about the world's origins? And he says, well, no, primarily, this is a book about law. So start with some laws. You know what his answer is? You know what the reason is that he gives for why God starts with the creation and tells us the story of Genesis? He says in his very first comment, the reason is because in the future, the nations of the world will say to Israel, to the Jewish people, you have no right to the land of Israel. You have no right to it. You stole it. It doesn't belong to you. So God writes in the Torah that he is the creator of the universe and tells the story of the Torahs of the, of the earth's origins. Why? so that the Jewish people can respond by saying God is the creator and he declared and decreed that the land of Israel would belong to Israel, to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people. So that's why he begins there. Now, you should know that this, what we're reading, the Jewish people read a section of the Torah throughout the year and they, can, they go through the whole Torah over the course of a year and it just so happens that this is the portion that we read in the Shabbat just after the massacre last week. How fitting. Now it's an amazing statement by Rashi. Really? That's the reason why God started it this way? And God is saying yes. I want the Jewish people to say to the world when they say you are foreign occupiers, sound familiar, you say God the creator of this whole world gave us this land. It's interesting because Israel and Jewish people tried to advocate all kinds of reasons for the Jewish people's right to the land. They say we're indigenous, we go back such a long time, which is true. They say that the Jewish people require self-determination, which is true. They say that they need a safe, a safe haven, which is true. They say that Israel was established under international law and with support of the United Nations. All true. 
it seems that much of the world aren't really interested in those things. And they also seem to find, for some reason, flaws in these in these arguments, um, even though I think they're pretty solid. But I think it seems to be certainly what the Torah is telling us, and probably is the most bulletproof of uh, all arguments, is to say the creator of the world gave this land to us. Surely he has a right to decide who he gives it to. So God's saying, that's the argument that I wish you to use, please. So that's actually the first point that uh, Rashi says in the Torah. That's what Jews should say to the people of the world. Some Jewish people would squirm when they hear this. I can't say that to people. Well, it's funny, actually. The Middle East is a world of religious people. Perhaps that might be the argument. It might be a point of view that they may actually respect. But still, I think we have a, a big question, which is that, really? You mean to tell me that the whole story of Genesis, Adam and Eve, Noah, the flood, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the sale of Joseph, and the brothers, and all that happened, going down to Egypt, and the Exodus, this is all just to tell us that the land of Israel belongs to the Jews? Come on, that's, that's a bit much. So I believe it was the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the last... Um, rabbi and leader of the Chabad movement, who died in 1994, who taught that actually this comment by Rashi can go a bit deeper, which is that it's not just that the nations of the world will say to the Jewish people, you have no right to the land of Israel. It's that the nations of the world will say to the Jews, you have no right to the land, not just Israel, the whole of the land in the world. You Jews don't belong here. Sound familiar? <laughs> Isn't that basically the story of Jewish history? From the moment of Israel's inception as a people in the Bible, the very next verse, Pharaoh says, we've got to wipe them out. We've got to get rid of them. We've got to suppress them. It seems to be that actually there is a fundamental hostility that at least exists within the subconscious of many people around the world, certainly throughout history, towards Jews, a hostility towards Jews, simply being on earth. And the question is why? And that is what the book of Genesis is coming to set the scene to explain and to talk about. The book of Genesis is all about God's purpose in creating this whole universe, creating the world. It's telling us the story of what's going on, the background to what this whole thing is all about, this whole life that we're in is all about. It's actually the Chabad movement, which the Rebbe was the leader of, which popularized the idea taught in the ancient Talmud in the Midrash, a biblical commentary, that the reason God created the earth is because he wished to dwell in it. He wished to dwell in the lowest of all worlds, this physical earth. That was his purpose. He wished to dwell here. Now, why would he want that? What's in it for God? Well, it's interesting that when God reveals himself to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, he tells them, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. 
He doesn't say, I'm the Lord your God who is the creator of the world. I'm the Lord your God who is all-powerful, all-mighty, all-knowing, all-everything, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't say any of that. Because actually that's not particularly interesting to him or even to us. You're all-powerful, you're all-mighty, okay, great. Good for you. What's that got to do with me? And what am I doing here? The reason God says, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt is he's saying, I created this universe. I created this world because I desire a relationship with you. I desire to share my existence. What's the goodness in just being me? All powerful, all knowing, almighty, as perfect as I am, comfortable as I am. There's nothing good in just being alone. No one to share my life with. So I have to create a world that is so utterly different to me in order to create people that will have the freedom of choice in order to have relationship with me and then I have someone to share it with. But it needs to be a world that's seemingly very detached from spirituality and godliness so that you have the space, the freedom to really build a relationship with me and together we can, we can come together. So the story of creation and the story of the Jewish people, which was ignited by Abraham, the forefather of the Jews, was to set about this mission that God had, which is to have a relationship with, with humanity, with human beings. And the Jews, he chose to be his uh, representatives, people who would take his mission and his message and his desire for relationship and take it down to earth to be the custodians of his desire for morality and relationship with earth. And so what Rashi is saying is that the nations of the earth, the people of the earth, are going to say when they see a, a, a people who are really here to represent the divine coming down from heaven on, an, on, a, on a mission to bring heaven down to earth, they're going to say to the Jews, what are you doing here? You, you don't belong here. You belong in heaven. Get out of here, please. <laughs> That's the hostility. Earth should be earth. Heaven should be heaven. Let's just keep the two separately. You have no right to own real estate here, to have own land and nation. What are you talking about? Get out. See, they're right in a sense. They're right. It doesn't feel uh, natural. It's like it's like two opposites. It's like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You have opposites. But the romance of relationship is, yes, you are opposites. Now you can come together and fuse with each other and, and, and build a relationship of two different beings coming together to share a life together. But there's a, a lower part of us that doesn't want that, just wants to stick to ourselves. And so anti-Semitism is the hostility to God's purpose for the world. That's what it really is. And it's not just me that's saying that. It's not just the rabbis who say that in the Talmud. It's actually the enemies of Israel that say that. It's, it's, it's this weird irony that it's often Israel's enemies who best teach her who she is. Adolf Hitler, I think he ranks pretty high in terms of anti-Semites, probably the gold standard 
He said the Jews inflicted two wounds on humanity, circumcision on its body and conscience on its soul. He said, I want to return the world to barbarity, to barbarism. Let's just be, you know, have law of the jungle. Let's be earthly people. And um, we don't want to introduce morality and godliness. That's not what we want. It's unnatural. And even today, what day did Hamas choose to attack the Jewish people on? Last time, enemies of Israel picked Yom Kippur. Last week, they picked Simchat Torah, the day in which the Jewish people dance and rejoice in the Torah, celebrating the Torah, the Torah, which is God's instructions to us, which we have to live by and teach teach the world about, quote him and, and, and tell others. They chose that day because that's who they wish to attack, the people that rejoice in the Torah, that celebrate the Torah. That's who they're saying they're attacking. So our enemies spell it out for us very clearly. If only we would listen. So the point is that, yes, there is a part within humanity that wishes to resist, that just wants to stick to themselves. But the message of the Jewish people is that ultimately a life that is entirely devoted to yourself sucks. <laughs> and God came to that conclusion as well. There's no goodness in it. Where's the goodness in a life just, just for your own pleasures and your own needs? Not that God has needs like we do. He has one need and one need alone, which is to share, to give, to have relationship, to, to, to have a meaning in his existence. Where's the meaning in just existing all by yourself? And the truth is, we are created in his image. And so even though there is a resistance to it, deep down, humanity really does seek to dwell in the house of God. And so that's what he wants. He wants to dwell here on earth in the what seems to be the least godly place actually has the potential for the greatest godliness because it's like a husband and wife. When they come together, you produce something incredible. Two opposites coming together to produce produce a whole. And so as Jews, we can make a, a bad mistake of thinking that in order to be spiritual, in order to do God's will, we need to distance ourselves from physical world. You know, is, what is it? How can we be a holy nation whilst also being a nation of farmers and innovators and doing business? And what are you talking about? But God says, no, when you do business, give a tenth to the poor and make sure you act uh, in, a, in an honest fashion. And the same when you're farming. And uh, it, it's so the, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, what, what, what is so was so astounding to the Jewish people was just how earthly the laws of the Torah are. God says, no, I want you to be invested, utterly involved in the physical world. Don't detach from it. That's the point. The nations of the world are saying, detach from the physical world. And God's saying, no, take me into every single aspect of the physical world. Take me everywhere. And so I will... Um, become a part of, become one with what seems to be so so uh, different to me, but really has the potential for unity with me. 
So that's really what's going on when we see anti-Semitism and hostility to Israel. Anti-Semitism and hostility towards the Jewish people having their own land, right? A, a heavenly nation being a nation on earth, having a nationhood on earth. It seems so preposterous. How could you be a nation like, like all of us? But that's the point. It does seem unusual. There is going to be pushback. But this is the whole reason why we're here. This is the whole point of creation. So in that sense, Rashi's first comment now seems utterly fitting and sets the whole stage for creation. The Jewish people's role is to bring God down to earth, to infuse godliness throughout the world. The role of the nations is to elevate the physical world, to make it more comfortable, more pleasant, more enjoyable, more uh, innovative. But the role of the Jewish people is to, in some ways, do those things, but take the godliness and God's preferences and characteristics and infuse them all into physical existence. So that's lesson, the first lesson of Torah morality for the world. Um, they're all going to be different lengths. We'll do some shorter ones, some longer ones. I recognise this was quite a long one and I'd love to, uh, you know, I'd welcome your comments. I don't know if that was too long for you guys or if you want shorter. Um, we'll also do some interviews because I have a huge amount uh, to learn and so much more I want to learn. I want to utilise this platform to to reach out to others. So if there are guests that you want us to speak to, I have some ideas for guests I want to speak to. Topics you want to cover, please message us right in the comment section. But I think it's really important that we not be hysterical about the fate of the world. Let's just with a calm head, as the great British uh, fire brigade posters say, keep calm and carry on. Let's just do what we're supposed to do, which is bring morality to the world, which really is the ultimate solution to all the problems that we're seeing here. I'm Ollie Annisfeld and you're watching JTV.